Well, I hope you had a wonderful Mother's Day last weekend. You had a great weekend. We certainly had a great Mother's Day here at Graceland, didn't we? It was a great, great, yeah, yeah. We had a great time. And I want to thank my wife, Sarah, for sharing, and also Miss Virginia Markham for being a part of that. As soon as she walked up on stage, I heard the tears start, and I thought, here it goes. It was a great, great, great weekend for us here at Graceland. And today's kind of a special day for myself and my family, because today marks the two-year anniversary for my family and I coming to Graceland. And I just want to say... And I just want to say, was there an applause thing on the Okay, good. <laughs> I just want to make sure. I just want to say thank you for your encouragement, your support. It is great to be a part of something that's growing and reaching a community. And look, we don't have it all together. I say it and I'll say it again. We're not a perfect church, but we are a healthy church. And I'm grateful to be a part of this body of believer, believers, this faith family. You know, it reminds me of, of a president of an organization that he had served much longer at his organization than I've served here at Graceland. And this president took an unexpected trip away from his organization. He didn't really let anybody know, and he just quickly departed for a substantial amount of time away. He gets on the airplane, he makes his place to where it's going to be, he arrives at his hotel, he sits down at the desk, and he begins to pen a letter to the organization, and he says to all of the managers and to all the teammates and to everyone in the organization, this is what you must do in order to continue the vision of our organization. And he begins to pen all the directions and all the things that they needed to do. And if you could combine everything that he said and done into two words, it would be the words, rise up. He said, would you rise up to the vision that we have cast? Would you rise up to the mission that we have called you to be while I'm gone? And he gives specific instructions for this. It's lengthy, it's detailed. And then after he's gone for a while, he comes back and he arrives there at the corporate headquarters and his heart just sinks because he knows that there's something missing. He arrives and all the grass is growing up real tall, hoping that's just a missite. He walks into the lobby and there's cobwebs in the lobby. And then he goes up to the receptionist and she's painting her nails and her feet are up on the desk and it just it's just not very good and then, okay maybe it's just an oversight then he goes up to the the level where all of his team was working and they got rid of all the desks and there's just a bunch of gym and ping pong and foosball tables and pool tables and he's really worried and then he goes and he looks and no one's in their office and they're just hanging out and they're sipping you know coffee and eating donuts and and he goes hey and they all kind of start to come over to him and he goes did you get my letter and, and they said, well, yeah, we got your letter. He said, and, and the manager walks up, the guy that was really kind of the number two, he says, we got your letter. We emailed it out to every single teammate. Uh, we made sure everyone got a hard copy. And then we'd go around every single day to make sure that everybody got the letter. He's like, and then he goes, but, but wait, boss, this even gets better. Well, not only did we get the letter, but we read it. We read it a lot. In fact, that we would have these study groups and we would read the letter over and over and over again to gain new insights. Some of the team even memorized a few. And then the one guy from Harvard that we hired last year, he memorized the entire letter, boss. You should be so impressed with... And then he said, but wait, there's more. He said, we put the letter on the wall of the office. Look around you. There's your, there's your words. We, we even made t-shirts that said the letter on it. And then, in fact, to make it even better, we put all of your letter on the website on our corporation. Aren't you proud? 
And the president says, well, did you do any of it? The manager just kind of sinks his head to the ground, puts his hand in his pocket, and kind of kicks the ground. He goes, well, well, no, he didn't do anything. He's like, you didn't contact the clients. You didn't expand the vision. You didn't keep to the mission. He said, well, no, we didn't. He said, but we are forming new study groups in how to process your letter. And unfortunately, my walk as a Christ follower is a lot more like that fable, that allegory. I've been given the letter, but so often I settle just to read it, as opposed to doing it. And I'm afraid, friends, that here around the globe, that the church of Jesus Christ, this relates a lot closer to her than we would even be comfortable admitting and doing. And if there's one phrase that is needed more than ever before in our churches, it's the phrase, to rise up. Because a phrase like this, it has to do with movement. It has to do with action. It's a phrase that means that when we're facing even unbelievable odds, that we will not faint or grow weary, but we will rise up to the occasion. And that's the exact choice that the early church, the early followers of Jesus actually had. And you know what they would do? They would rise up like never before. They would come together in A.D. 30. They would come together like never before, and they would become the first church in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, we're going to see that the first church, it was a movement the world had never seen. And yet we settle for just going through the motions. In the early church, we see that it was guided by the Spirit of God. It was powered by something supernatural. But yet we just settle for just spinning the wheels of busyness. The first church was a force. You know, we could call the book of Acts the book of action because they were a group of people committed to action but the church today so many times I think we could say that we're more of a contrast as opposed to a comparison but the church today still is the most powerful force in the universe but yet as one author said it best we are just stuck in quick cement so we're going to be in the book of Acts through this new preaching series called Rise Up. And so I want to have you all turn there to the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 1. I'd love for you to turn there in your Bible or smartphone or tablet. If you don't have any of those, you can grab the Bible that's in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, we'd love for you to take that Bible home and be our gift to you. And let me just tell you, if you're new here today and you're like, I don't know about all this stuff, it's okay. We'd love for you to read along with us. Look, you, not everything you read you, you believe is true, right? Well, we would, would love for you just to read along and just see what you may learn today. We all want to turn to Acts chapter 1, verse 1. It's not going to be on the screen. We want you to read it for yourself. We love to hear the pages of Scripture turn here at Graceland. We're going to look at this together. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. Dr. Luke begins, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to apostles he had chosen. So Luke begins in his first few words in the book of Acts as we begin this new series. He says, In my former book. See, Acts was a part of a two-volume set by Dr. Luke. His first volume in the two-volume set was his gospel. And he would record the ministry of Jesus. 
and we gain a better idea of what his gospel was all about, as we're real quickly put on the screen, Luke chapter 1, verse 1 through 4, it says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you've been taught. Okay, real quickly, we learn a couple things about Luke. He's writing about events that had taken place that were fulfillment of the Old Testament prophet, which is good for the Jews, good for us, good for the world. Secondly, that Luke went into painstaking detail to investigate carefully the workings, the events that would unfold. And the second volume was called Acts of his two-part volume. And Acts has been called the Acts of the Apostles, which I, I could agree with to a certain extent, but it takes away the significance of the Spirit of God. Uh, some have called it the Acts of the Holy Spirit, but it takes away the cooperation of the people in cooperation with the Holy Spirit. So we could combine them. We could create a hybrid. And I want to call it the Book of Action, a force, the church commissioned by God and fueled by His Spirit. And as we look at the book of Acts, the book of Action, we learn this in history that Luke was in the company of the radically converted Saul turned to Paul. And we know by history that, that Paul had been thrown in jail for two years. So what is Dr. Luke doing for two years? Well, we know that he travels throughout Palestine and he begins to interview eyewitnesses of the early ministry of Jesus. So he goes and interviews the mother of Jesus. Her name is Mary. And we know that because in the Gospel of Luke, we get her account of so many of the events taking place. He goes on to interview um, uh, of Philip and, and Peter and John Mark and John and, and the brother of Jesus, who was James. And what we begin to see is in an unbelievable, incredible narrative that depicts zeros who turned to heroes. Because they would rise up and become the force by which God was asking them to be. So Luke says, you know, in my former book, Theophilus, who was a guy that had recently placed all his faith and trust in Jesus. He said, I wrote about all that, follow along with me here, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, this is after the ascension, and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. He said, do not leave Jerusalem... But wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So they're there in an upper room, and he's with his disciples. And there's two geographic areas in these verses we're going to read. But the first one is they're in an upper room in a house in Jerusalem. And we see a few things that Luke points out. First of all, Jesus, he calls them out. That God creates us for a purpose and he creates God on purpose. 
and that no man, no woman, no student, no child, no senior adult has ever been a mistake in the eyes of God, their significant purpose. And he's calling them out to their significance and their purpose. The second thing we see in Luke is that God shows himself to them, that they personally encounter this Jesus in physical form. And then third, that Jesus would commission them. I love that. He would commission them for something great. And what's so interesting here is that Jesus Christ, he builds the capacity in them and in all people that he calls for his, for his commission. He builds the capacity. He expands the territory in a person's life so the commission matches up. See, the apostles would do things they never dreamed of doing. Once they were powerless, now they're powerful. And here's why we know that. Imagine in their day, living in a culture that 2,000 years of tradition weighed them down. 2,000 years. Okay, in our culture today, we're not even half that much. But we have traditions today. Take, for instance, our ham that sometimes we bake over holidays. Why do they always come in the length that ham's coming? You know why? Because one day, a long time ago, someone didn't have a, a big enough pot to put the whole ham in. And so they cut it. And that's why we cut the ham the way we cut the ham. Tradition, right? In their day, they had a lot more tradition than just cutting of a ham. It was layers upon layers and layers and layers of tradition and yet Jesus cuts through all of the tradition and yet these men have the gumption to fight through and break free from all of that but then as we look at the call of Jesus on the disciples life he's not going to just leave them high and dry when he ascends when he leaves <laughs> it reminds me of the first time that I learned how to snow ski my buddies taught me one thing I'd never been on skis in my life I was 16 they said here's how you snow plow and they said, you ready to go up and hit a black diamond? I said, sure. I don't know what a black diamond is, but I'm game. And it's the hardest uh, type of slope on a ski slope. Well, I got a little bit better and I got past the snowplow, but at the time they left me high and dry. But Jesus isn't doing this. See, he is expanding the capacity for his commission. And then we turn to verse 6 and Luke changes geography. And now they're at the Mount of Olives. And Jesus has his final words to his followers. In verse 6 it says, Luke records, Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Now this is a question. And why are they asking it? Well, here's why. They had been putting things together in their head. They had been kind of calculating things. They weren't dummies. They knew what was going on. They knew Zechariah chapter 14, 4, and I'll, I'll read it for you real quick. It says, In that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east. Where are they? They're on the Mount of Olives. Where are they standing? Exactly where Zechariah was indicating, we think. So they're thinking, this is it. This is when it's all going to happen. We're going to get big places in this unbelievable geo geopolitical power. Everything's going to be great. And Jesus corrects them in the next verse. Look at it with me. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Guys, you got it all wrong. But then he says, but. As if to say, look, I know that you're asking questions, but let me turn your attention, let me turn your head to a totally different perspective. He says, but, in verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
Now, look, I, I read this up here, and, I'm, and it gets me excited. And maybe you read that, and you go, okay, I've read this before. Or maybe you're reading this for the first time. But let me just help you understand maybe what this may have looked like. We're going to show you something that we don't know exactly how, it's, exactly how it may have looked, but this is one depiction that could be fairly close. Watch this. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Go into the world and preach the gospel to all creation. kind of the depiction, all right? <laughs> but, but Jesus actually says the words, all right? He says that you will, be, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, okay? And if you want to underline and, 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 and look at something here, it would be this verse in your Bible, okay? And Jesus makes two promises. First of all, he says that you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. This is kind of TNT-level dynamite power that would come upon them. This is the same power that would anoint Jesus in Luke chapter 3. This is the same power that would raise Lazarus from the dead. This is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And now it's coming upon them. You know, a woman walks up to a pastor and she says, Do you think God is interested in my little problems? And the pastor replies, Well, dear lady, do you think any of your problems are big to God? And it should be assurance to us that the, the dynamite type of power the Spirit of God instills and, and has for every single follower of Jesus Christ is bigger than, is stronger than. We learned that just a couple of weeks ago. That it's stronger than a, a marriage that is struggling. It's stronger than a relationship that is needing restoration. It's stronger than a situation you find yourself in in your job. It's stronger than any situation that you may be facing in your life. That Martin Luther said, God created the world out of nothing. When we realize we are nothing, he can make something out of us too. And what a great reminder, what a great assurance that Jesus had nothing, it had nothing to do with their own ability, but had everything to do with the Spirit of God. You know, it's like this, that we know without electricity, all of our great electronics are worthless. But with a little charge, a little flow, our cell phones, our computers, they are great things for us and they're wonderful. And in the same way, the Spirit of God, He charges our powerless life. 
A second promise that he has is that they would become the witnesses of Jesus. This is the second promise that they would receive. They would carry the evidence of Jesus, the, the, the death the, the, in the resurrection of Jesus Christ to every single part of the planet. Now you've got to think about it this for a second. The disciples had the best pastor that anyone has ever had. That Jesus had the best sermons, okay? That anytime anyone was hungry, Subway, just like that. I mean, he fed the 5,000. It was incredible. He always knew how long to speak. He always knew what to say. He always knew how to lead. He was the best pastor. And then he literally ascends into the sky, and they don't have him anymore. And that is why Luke writes his second volume, the book of Acts, to depict not just the ministry of Jesus, but the ministry of Jesus through the disciples and the followers of Jesus. And so I want to ask you the question today, where would the ministry happen? Well, Jesus gives us this indication in three words in a phrase. He said, first of all, it's going to happen in Jerusalem. Second of all, it's going to happen in Judea and Samaria. And then third, it's going to happen to the end, or Judea and Samaria. And third of the phrase is going to be to the ends of the earth. And, and what he says in verse 8, really, it's the table of contents for the whole, the whole book of Acts. If you want a synopsis of the book of Acts, I'll give it to you. First of all, Jesus says the ministry is going to start right in Jerusalem. It's going to start right in J-Town, okay? And this is going to happen at the capital, and that's where they are. And it's found, we're going to see this in Acts chapter 1 all the way through Acts chapter 7. And then he says the gospel is going to saturate the sidewalks of Judea and Samaria, the, the outer region. And really that is what we see in Acts chapter 8 unfold. This is where we see Samaria happen. And this is where we see Judea take, Judea take place. And this is Acts chapter 8. And then he says you're going to see my ministry continue to the ends of the earth. And this is found in Acts chapter 9 through 28. And there you have the entire synopsis of the book of Acts. And what's so phenomenal about this is Jesus is saying, you know what? The gospel isn't just for those here. That the gospel is going to push through social barriers, race barriers, rank barriers. It's going to go through all the way to the ends of the earth. It is for everyone. It's not just for the insiders, it's for the outsiders. And you should be glad because every single one of us, unless you're an Orthodox Jew from Jerusalem, you are an outsider. Jesus had good news for every single one of us and he says this is where the ministry is going to go. And, and here's the other thing about it. If you're thinking about this right here, this is the to the ends okay, of the earth. And this phrase right here, okay, is for us. And this includes us today. And so we are grouped in with the disciples when he said this. And there's a period of time in history where we stand. You see, Jesus would ascend, and one day he's going to come back. But what's in between is where the disciples were left and where we are today. And Jesus would ascend and leave us in this mark. And the one thing he said to do is, he's like, I want you to be my witnesses. I want you to share about me. I want you to share about my gospel. And I want you to saturate the sidewalks with this great news that everyone can have a relationship with Almighty God, their, their creator. 
Everyone can come to me just as they are. Everyone can receive forgiveness of sin. They don't need a priest. They don't need anybody else. They don't need to pay penance. They just need to come to me and put all of their trust and all their faith in it. And when we look at this, it should be unbelievably good news for us. And what Jesus is doing is he creates a bullseye, a target. And what he's saying is that, look guys, this is the new target. And they're not really the target any longer. They're not the field any longer, if you will. They're the force to reach the field that is fueled by the Holy Spirit. He says, look guys, that you're the force and not the field any longer. This is critical for us to understand today. Because we, the church of Jesus Christ, we are the force and not the field. Tom Rainer, in his book, The Autopsy of a Deceased Church, he goes on to tell the story of a church who in 1975 was really healthy. And not that numbers are everything because they're not. We can't, we can't judge all things. We don't know what God's doing on the inside, but we can guesstimate a little bit based upon what God's doing outwardly. But this church was healthy, and there was around 750 people coming, and they were doing all kinds of really good things in the community. Well, years go by, and the church declines rapidly, and they're just a few years away from probably closing their doors, so they bring in Tom Rainer, and Tom Rainer comes on, and he does a, a synopsis, and he says, if you don't change these things, you're going to die, and they don't do those things, and so the church closed their doors quicker than he even, he even thought, and he writes in his book, and he says the reason why the church closed its doors were, number one, the good old days had become the hero days, number two, everything turned inward including budgetary dollars and the great commission became the great omission so let me just be clear here today for all of us who are in the faith family here at Graceland and maybe those of you who have been checking this church out kind of wondering what is our vision what is our passion where do we want to go here's the deal this church we are the force and not the field and the field is all around us all in our own Jerusalem, in our own Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, I want to give you an example of maybe to help you understand a little bit more of what I'm talking about, how this flushes out. I, I read this example recently, and I thought it was quite good. That some people believe the church should be a cruise liner. And what I mean by that, if you've ever been on a cruise liner, there's all these wonderful uh, things about a cruise liner. You know, you have all these amenities, all these special things. And, and in a church world, that would be like, well, the, the music has to be just right. They have to sing just my songs, just the way I like them. Just the way the radio plays it, or just the way I remember back in the good old days. Okay? And the preacher needs to be really funny, and yet kind of tell some truth. He needs to be deep, but he also needs to be relevant for everyone here. And he has to hit every single age group. And then the, the, the ministries have to be really, really good for all of my kids, and all of my notion, emotional needs are felt. And then if I don't like those things, I'll go to the next cruise liner. Okay? Because that one, the, the pastor's a little funnier and he's written this book or he's done this or whatever the case is. This is the way some people treat the church. Others will treat the church as, oh, it's a battleship. And if you think of a battleship, you think of these huge guns, right? And the paid holy man, that's me, okay, is supposed to sit on those guns and just fire direct shots at the enemy on an ongoing basis. And that's what they think the church should be. Now, others believe that the church should be an aircraft carrier. They believe that the church should be a force and not the field. And an aircraft carrier is a place that, that equips and sends fully equipped human beings to do the work that it was meant to be and do. 
And ladies and gentlemen, this is the kind of church that I believe Jesus was trying to build from the very beginning. I want to ask you this question today. Just think about it in your mind. What boat is this church? Uh, Let me ask you a different question. What kind of boat have you bought into for church? I'm reminded of the quote, a ship in, in harbor is safe, but that is not what ships are built for. I want to ask, has this ship left the harbor? Statistics tell us that 90% of all Christ followers have never led anyone to Jesus Christ. And the staggering thing is in the next seven years, 55,000 churches are going to close their doors. 55,000. So when Jesus said, you're going to be my witnesses, those disciples in the days and weeks and months to come, the Holy Spirit would do this a, a, a cyclone deal on their life. And you know, a cyclone goes like this, right? And it would bring them in and transform their life. And then it would send them out in unbelievable ways. When Jesus would leave, the church only had a, maybe 100 to 150 people at the time. But they had a focus. They had a vision. And they knew that they were the force and not the field. I guess what I'm trying to say is this. That I'd rather be a part of an army than a crowd. And I'd rather be in an aircraft carrier named the USS Graceland than a battleship or a cruise liner okay that is what I want oh there it is right there (laughs) see that Jesus knew that that movements they just weren't built about just one big crowd it's not just about how many we can get in this room but it's about how much we can multiply the mission of Jesus in the lives of the next generation I mean on graduation Sunday how awesome is it to celebrate the next generation that is the church today and when the church would rise up it is unstoppable Matthew chapter 16 verse 18 says this and JD Greer I love what he says he says multiplication beats out addition Every single time. And he gives this illustration, and I love it. He says that if you have a choice between $10,000 a day, just getting in your bank account, and one cent doubled daily, what would you choose? Well, if you choose a $10,000 a day in seven days, how much money would you have? How much? How much? 70,000. Okay, you're awake now. Good. All right. 70,000. All right. But if you were to take the one cent double daily for a month, you know how much you'd have? You'd have $10 million. If you were to take that one cent double daily for four months, you'd have this number, that number. I can't, I don't even know what that number is. If you would have taken the $10,000 addition a day, in four months you would only have $1.2 million. So here's what I want to do. I want to count on multiplication at Graceland. I want to count on sending and deploying and being a part of a movement. Ladies and gentlemen, let's be the church that sends in southern Indiana. Let's be the church that is sending and sending and equipping and sending. And see Acts chapter 1 verse 8 completely personified. There was a missionary, his name is Adoram Judson, and he would go to Burma 
And for seven years, he wouldn't lead one person to Jesus Christ. But then, at the end of his life, he accounted for over 7,000 believers. Uh, Judson would die, and then a few years later, they would do research, and they would find over 210,000 believers because of one man sending and deploying. Sending and deploying. And it gets personal for me, and here's why. Because people have sent and deployed and hit me personal. There was a teenage girl. She was 17 years of age. She was on a beach in California. Her friend and her are together, and this guy comes up who shares Christ with her. She comes to put her faith and trust in Jesus. She goes back to Cleveland, Ohio area. She gets married. She has a firstborn son. Her firstborn son is Ray Green, and she prays me into the kingdom of God, and the next generation is born, and now I'm doing the same for my daughters. And let me tell you that somebody did the same for you if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, and this is the sending power in the movement of Jesus Christ. And I am so excited about what this can look like for our life. So as we read the letters that Jesus sent for us, would we be more about doing than just analyzing and and processing? It would be a people of action. So I want to ask you a question, four questions, and then I'm going to end today. If we're going to be an aircraft carrier, I've got to ask you these questions. If we're going to be a force and not the field, number one, I want to ask you this question. Are you walking around on the aircraft carrier, but have never gotten in a plane? Maybe you've been too busy, or maybe you've let fear get in the way. Have you let fear or busyness get in the way of building friendships with people who are not a part of this church? Maybe you've let fear or busyness get in the way of sharing your story about how Jesus has changed your life with someone who may need to hear it. Maybe you've let fear of business get in the way of inviting someone to this gathering this morning. No, just a few weeks, we have invented this incredible, fun gathering on Sunday, a kind of a high-invite Sunday. It's going to be on Father's Day, and we're calling it Dad Fest, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Okay, we're going to have a great morning, and then we're going to have a picnic on the lawn, and we're going to have all kinds of meat, which is awesome for us guys, all right? And we're going to have stuff for guys, we're going to have stuff for our families, and I'm told we're going to have all kinds of a car show, and there's going to be all kinds of good stuff that day. This would be a great Sunday for you to be like, you know what, I'm going to step out uh, past my business, past my fear, I'm going to invite someone here. Have you let your fear or busyness get in the way of using your time and your talents? You know, we have VBS coming up. We need greeters in our lobby. We need group leaders. We need all kinds of people that would, that would use their giftings and their talents to love those who God entrusts to us. Would you step up and do it in that way? If that is you today, if you've been letting fear and busyness get in the way, what I want to ask you today, maybe you would come forward in just a few minutes and say, God, would you help me to get past my fear, to get past my busyness, and to keep your focus? I'm going to get off of the tarmac, and I'm going to get into a plane, and I'm going to be sent. The second question I want to ask you today is, is that a carrier, okay, needs a lot of fuel to get where it's going to go. And I want to ask you today, and I'm going to go somewhere where most pastors hate going, and that is, are you generous to the cause of Graceland? Now this maybe isn't for you visitors today, but for us who call Graceland our our family of faith here today. Are you generous towards this church? Are you giving your first fruits to God and more so? If you've never really thought about it like that, would you consider just get starting on the generosity ladder at the bottom? That's where I started, and I started giving. And now my wife and I are asking, how much should we keep? 
I know we've kind of gone past the 10% gross mark. Now we're going, okay, can we give 12, 13, 14, 15? We've given up to 20% of our gross income away at times. How can we be generous? How can we trust God and be stewards of what we've been given? If that's you today, you should start to give. You can give online. All right, that's enough. All right, you can take your hands off your wallet now. The pastor's done, okay? The third question I have for you is this, that the aircraft carrier has one captain, and it's not this guy. It's not our elders. It's Jesus Christ. And I want to ask, have you fully submitted to the plan he has for your life? Maybe you're a follower of Jesus today, but you've never fully submitted to what he wants for your life in every single way. You know, we see our weakness, but Jesus sees our potential. We see what we are right now, but Jesus sees what we can be. And he waits for his capacity to be built to commission us. Is there something in your life you're holding close and you need to let go of? If that's you today, maybe you'd like to come forward in just a few minutes and to give that over to Jesus. And the final question I want to ask is, are you wearing the uniform to be aboard? Are you wearing the uniform to be aboard? You know, when we wear a uniform, it is that we have placed our trust in the thing that we're serving. Have we put our full trust, our full dedication to Jesus Christ? Meaning that have we said, you know what, you are Lord of my life. You are the Savior of my soul. And I ask for, for forgiveness of my sins, and I turn to you fully. Have you done that in your life? This last week I was at a luncheon, recently. And I was getting ready to leave the luncheon, and somebody interrupted me and tapped me on the shoulder and said, Hey, Ray. And I said, Hey, how are you doing? And I remember meeting him and seeing him about six weeks and two months earlier right here in this gathering. And he said, Hey, I just want to say thank you. And I said, Why? He said, Because my life has been transformed. He said, You know what? I came to Graceland. I was, an, I was basically an atheist. And I said, You know what? For the first time in my life, I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And he did it right here, right over there next to me. And he just gave his life to Jesus Christ. And I want to ask have you given your life to Jesus? You know, you students, I gave my life to Jesus my senior year in high school. I want to ask you, have you done that today? If you've not done that, I'd love for you to come forward in just a few minutes and for you to surrender what Jesus is asking you to surrender, to put the uniform on. You see, friends, if we can't answer yes to all four of those questions, then God is going to be knocking and asking, would you, would you take your next step as he directs? You know, and as we continue to write history, I pray that history would look upon this faith family in such a way, just as the early church did, as we would rise up to the mission that God has for us, that we would be the force and not the field. And that historians who maybe not even our Christ followers would write of us as they did as the early church. Aristides, a Greek philosopher and writer, he wrote this about the early church. Read this uh, as I read it. The Christians persuade others to become Christians by the love they have for them, and when they have become so, they call them without distinction brothers. They do not worship strange gods, and they walk in all humility and kindness. They observe scrupulously at their, the commandment of their Messiah. They live honestly and soberly as the Lord their God commanded them. They praise God and laud God over their food and their drink. They render him thanks. And if any righteous person of their number passes away from this world, they rejoice and give thanks to God. And they speak of his body as though he were moving from one place to another. Such is the law of the Christians and such is their content. And my friends, they would do what was written to them. And I pray that we would take what was written to us and we would do the same.